Hello and welcome to the Odds Profit Podcast. The winds of change are sweeping through the Premier League after a slew of managerial changes during the international break. The seemingly unsackable Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has finally been axed by Manchester United. The search is on to replace caretaker Michael Carrick with another temporary placeholder. But in the interim, sit back, relax and enjoy the latest set of Premier League betting tips that the Odds Profit Podcast is about to deliver. I'm Simon Winter and I'm joined once again by Andy Furlong who will aid me in this week's bookie bashing crusade. How are you Andy? Yeah, I'm good, Simon. Thanks very much for having me back on. No worries, anytime. Right, let's get the important stuff out of the way. This podcast is about betting and gambling, so you must be aged 18 or over to listen in. And if you do follow our tips this weekend, then please gamble responsibly. All right, then, let's get to it. As always, there are 10 games to cover. That's five each, Andy. That's five each. I've got five. You've got five. Yeah, five apiece. So um, I'm not continuing this. All right. Anyway, look, I'm up first. And the first game of the weekend is Arsenal versus Newcastle at the Emirates Stadium for Eddie Howe's second game in charge. Now, last week, we both expected a defence first focus from Newcastle against Brentford. It turned out to be <laughs> anything but. Um, look, they, they were focused on the fence. They just weren't very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's true. Look, Howe set Newcastle up in a modern looking 3-4-3 formation, which earned them a three-all draw with Brentford. Um, Newcastle mustered 23 shots against the Bees. In the four games preceding that against Brighton, Chelsea, Palace and Spurs, they hit a combined 25 attempts only. So this bodes well for excitement levels, I think. Um, Newcastle were unlucky not to win, really. They won the XG battle. Uh, it was 2.18 to 1.23. One of Brentford's goals was actually a rather fortuitous deflected effort from Ivan Tony against his old club. Did you know, Andy, that that was the 50th goal conceded by former players... I did not. For Newcastle, yes, which is the highest figure in the history of the league, unsurprisingly. (laughs) And the bottom line here is that Arsenal will be facing a far more dangerous Newcastle team than they would have met just a couple of weeks ago. The the Gunners' confidence took a massive hammering at Liverpool in that 4-0 thumping last week. Arsenal's XG was a measly 0.47. It was the lowest of the weekend alongside Everton, who were smashed at, at City. Um, before that Arsenal were unbeaten in 8 league games and 10 overall but the manner of that defeat is it's kind of a it's a knee knocker isn't it the seeds of doubt have been planted I think oh big time big yeah. time look Saturday's game it looks like a tricky one for Arsenal to navigate and while that match result markets and double chance markets might be interesting at first glance I think sticking to goals markets this week makes more sense given Newcastle's showing against Brentford it's clear that the Magpies are going to approach this one on the front foot with a wave of new manager optimism behind them. And goals are going to be scored at both ends again. So if you take over two and a half goals and both teams to score, you get 21 to 20 or 2.05 here. And there are enough factors to play to them make this one worth a go, I think. Yeah, it's very good. Thanks. What you got first for us, Andy? Uh, my first game of the week is Crystal Palace at home to Aston Villa. So Aston Villa got their first win since beating Man United back in September. But I mean... Everyone's beating Man United right now. Shut they, up. They did get a, they did get two late goals, and it was more of a solid performance than maybe the two 0 scoreline might suggest. They only had thirty seven percent possession while at home. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but two 0s probably not reflective of the way the game played out. Um, there was a bit of a worldly scored kind of out of nowhere, and then they got like a, a, late, a late goal and sort of pushed that that advantage home. Well, Palace then have been. Um, a really solid team so far this season. They've only they've only got two def- defeats all season. Both of those games came away, and those games were against Chelsea and Liverpool, which is like fair enough, really. 
they have had seven draws this season though so um, like while they've been solid and they have pulled out the odd spectacular results like they beat Man City fairly comfortably as the Eddie had a few weeks ago Ten Man City we should say sorry Ten Man City Ten Man City yeah that's that's true but still it was it was a really impressive result but they've been they've been pretty solid and robust if not you know winning too many games um, I think the the thirty seven percent possession shows that like Villa we we kind of earmarked Villa for maybe a bit more of a defensive sort of approach again last week as well. I think a draw is a fairly safe bet in this game. Um a draw comes in at twenty three to ten or three point three. And um Benteke scored four in his last five games. He's in a bit of form. Speaking of scoring against your former club. Um so Benteke's got four in his last five games. Uh, he's coming in at eleven to five or three point two to be an any time goal scorer. Which That's I think excellent. Is, yeah, I think is a pretty good. Funnily enough, I um, included that somewhere else this week in another piece of work. Oh, did you? The Benteke stuff and football's love of fulfilling these little plot lines. Maybe I read it. Oh, maybe you read it. No, I didn't. <laughs> thief, you idea thief. But yeah, that's excellent. I really like that one. Obviously. <laughs> All done. All done. All done. All right. So I'm off to Anfield for my first 3 p.m. kickoff on Saturday, where Jurgen Klopp's relentless Reds host struggling Southampton. Liverpool are actually undefeated in 21 of their last 22 Premier League matches. They are the the division's top scorers. They've hit more shots and more shots on target than any other team. And only Man City have won more corners. So simply put, they've returned to that ominously good form of their title-winning campaign. Southampton, meanwhile, have lost to Norwich last weekend. Though they really shouldn't have, for many reasons. Not least of all, the Canaries' two goals came from just 0.44 xG. Alex McCarthy made a mess of both goals, actually, particularly the second one. Did you see? I did. I he did. just kind of threw it in his own net, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, anyway, this game is kind of just about what kind of damage Liverpool can do, really. Um, Jurgen Klopp is expected to wrap most of his stars in cotton wool against Porto in the Champions League on Wednesday, with their place in the next round already confirmed. So expect them to be full of running again on Saturday, unfortunately for Southampton. Naturally, Liverpool are kind of priced out of the standard match result markets, but you can get 5-4 to four or 2.25 on Liverpool to win to nil. Now, I know they've had a couple of defensive issues this season. Certainly a few wrinkles to iron out, you could say. Mm-hmm. But um, that price seems pretty big to me, 2.25. Southampton haven't scored a Premier League goal at Anfield since 2015. That's a run of five visits in the league without a single goal. Wow. Uh, their clean sheet against Arsenal at the weekend, Liverpool's clean sheet rather, was their second on the spin at home following their 2-0 win over Atletico. I know it's not much, but it's a start, I suppose. Clean sheets against decent teams. So they're starting to set things straight in their own third. So backing them to win to nil, especially with the crap prices elsewhere considered, that looks like a gore here. Yeah, no, that's pretty solid. What's next? Next up then is Norwich at home against Wolves. So Norwich now have back-to-back wins in the Premier League under two different managers. Um, So is it a new manager bounce? It's probably a little bit early to say, but there's some signs are starting to appear even before Daniel Fark um, had his departure. They had a couple of nil-nil draws with Brighton and Burnley, and they had a win over that that win over Brentford. Now I know they got hammered seven-nil by Chelsea in the middle, but like that's kind of you know if you take that one out of the equation, they were starting to show a little bit of signs of you know getting a few points, and then obviously they beat Southampton one-nil last week in Dean Smith's first game. Wolves, on the other hand, have been a really solid side. They started off pretty poorly that didn't they didn't score a goal in their opening three matches but um things really come come into uh things have kind of fallen into place for them over the last like you know a few weeks the since losing to brentford on the 18th of september they've won five of their last seven games 
The only two games that it didn't win was a 2-0 loss to an informed Palace and a 1-1 draw with Leeds where they conceded a 94-minute penalty. So they've been, they've been pretty solid. You could say they've wandered into good form. You could say that. A lot Not of people, me though. <laughs> I wouldn't say that either. But you know, some, some, some people might say something like that. But um, I still think that even though Norwich are kind of showing those signs of having like you know a little bit of a resurgence and you know potentially that new manager bounce, I just think Wolves are just a little bit too strong at this point in time. But a Wolves win and both teams to score comes in a five to two or three point five, which I think is massive. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. So yeah, so you're capitalizing I'm, on the new manager bounce and yeah, yeah, yeah. I still don't want like, Wolves are just still too solid right now to you know so it's early days for Norwich and you know they're, they are showing signs but I just think Wolves will be a little bit too strong from this yeah week. I agree and the return to form of Raul Jimenez too has, has been a massive plus I think he has two goals in his last three games so. yeah yeah he's, his inclusion there was they, they lacked that really kind of focal point in the first few games of the season Yeah, they, um, they didn't score any in their first three and but it wasn't for the one to try didn't they I mean I think they played Spurs and United back to back and just created like seven, eight clear cut chances. Yeah, De Gea made like two yeah, real yeah. worldies that day, and then I believe Rand cleared one off the line as well. And so performances have been good then. Yeah, for... there's always been signs there. They, yeah. just, they just weren't able to convert those chances. They have an awful lot of good players, haven't they? Lots Who you of think good could make a step up? Yeah, there. lots, lots of really good players. They're always, um, they're always very compact. I used, to, I hate when United play Wolves. They're just a terrible team to try and break yeah. down, and yet they always seem to be a threat as well. Yeah. Um, and if Adama Traore can never like nail down, like turn like. Get a final product on. He won't, at this stage, he's not he's going to. Probably not going to, but he's just. He's he just playing. always feels so dangerous whenever yeah. he gets the ball. If someone you know? could really, a coach could really get their claws into him. Mm. And I'm sure, like how many have tried at this stage? He oh, started yeah. at Barcelona's academy, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And has been kind of bouncing around till he got to Wolves, but yeah. It's all there. It is, it's there. It's Except the most important. Together. Yeah, Except the yeah, most important. Yeah. And I don't know who said, I think Roy Keane says the hardest part about football is beating a man. Yeah. going past the man and he does that with so ease, ease. With doesn't ease. even try yeah. doesn't even try did I re- read somewhere this has to be incorrect that he doesn't actually work out in the gym that much he did says, you read that he says he doesn't come on like, man that's yeah. not normal no, that's no. Not maybe, normal. maybe it's all plastic surgery <laughs> <laughs> all silicone implant biceps yeah no well I mean he has to maybe maybe he's being a little bit like loose with the truth and he's like well I don't go to the gym I work out at home <laughs> <laughs> works out all the way home yeah he's just on the bus to match it's just curling <laughs> alright nice one I really like that bet and uh, we've got one more game to go before the end of part one which is Brighton versus Leeds dinner time fixture at the Amex Stadium now the teams enjoyed or I should say endured similar weekends really Brighton lost at Villa despite having 63% of the ball while Leeds were beaten at Spurs even though they had 56% possession that suggests that both teams are suffering from a shared toothlessness really something that's evident in the respective goal hauls for the campaign Plus Danny Welbeck being out for Albion and Patrick Bamford being injured for Leeds both feel like key absentees this weekend. The teams have scored 12 times each in 12 fixtures so far so there are plenty of similarities here between sides. It grinds against my football soul a little bit to back under 2.5 goals for any game but all the pieces seem to fit here. Mm-hmm. Um, last season Brighton beat Leeds to nil twice. 2 nil at home and 1 nil away but not sure I can back the Seagulls this time following their 7 match winless run in the league. Similarly, again, Leeds have won just twice in 12 games overall, so you cannot in good faith side with them either. I guess the fact that under 2.5 goals landed on each occasion last term adds weight to this tip. And at 10 to 11 or 1.91, the price is right. So, unfortunately for supporters attending, under 2.5 goals is my call here. Yeah, it seems like a pretty pretty safe, solid bet. <laughs> it yeah. does. I'm oh. all about safety. 
<laughs> I, I predicted uh, Leeds to be for their game last week to be under 2.5 goals as well it just I know it didn't come in but it it, it just feels that's kind of where they're at right now um, where's the coverage about like the damning coverage about Bielsa and Leeds I mean sure there has to be some kind of equitable coverage surely after there was so much fawning over them last season yeah I suppose the fact that there was so much fawning over them last season because a lot of people felt that they were overachieving so maybe people are a little bit more now they're just achieving now they're just at the expected level more maybe I, I would say they're underperforming you think yeah I yeah. think so two wins from 12 but we know we can look at like the way some journalists cover Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that once once people make their bed they stay to, they, they stay in it do you know what I mean and um, it's okay to change your opinion yeah a lot of people won't back down on their listening. opinion so like, yeah. they'll just sooner ignore it than more on Solskjaer later <gasps> oh. teaser <laughs> okay that's end of part one but but oh no but oh no I've been looking forward to this for a while um, it's how my, long it's my turn to do the quiz now last week uh-huh. last week you were the quiz master and I was the victim um, and the roles have been reversed oh, a little no. bit this week so I kind of went with a bit of a theme there for my quiz so you were asking me a lot of questions about Premier League firsts so now I'm going to ask you some Premier League lasts oh or, no it looks like the, the upper hand is on the other foot that's it so sub out the word last and maybe put in most recent since the Premier League is an ongoing thing. Like, but so for example, one of the questions you asked me last week was who was the first manager sacked in the Premier League. I'm going to ask you who was the last manager or most recent manager sacked in the Premier League. Well, now there was a recent space. I know it, it, it's the question was ruined for me because I had. Okay, to, so uh, the one that precedes. Well, no, I was. I'm going to be honest and just leave the question as it was. But I mean, like you know the answer. But like, well, yeah, for 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 uh, the the I interest to, the oh. interest of sport, right? Let's just take all the under soldier out of it then. Okay, okay. Because there was there was a spate of managers who got sacked yeah. around him, and and what I was going to say is oh, only one of them can be the most recent. That's quite tricky, you know. Is Dean Smith the most recent one? Dean Smith is the most recent. Daniel oh, Farke was sacked on yeah. the 6th of November and Dean Smith was sacked on the 7th of November. Ah, there you go. So, look, Man United have ruined a few of these questions over the weekend. They've right? ruined a lot of things. Because, Andy, let, let's be honest. Um, including our lives. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, one of the other questions you asked me, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here, because I had a very similar situation, but one of the other questions was who was the most recent player to be sent off in the Premier League? <laughs> oh, no. Because the last game before the, the international... Uh, the international break there was two there was two different games played at the exact same time but there was two people sent off so only one could be the most recent oh my god I've no idea but I, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to mark that one down as, an, as a correct answer you know it was Harry Maguire yes okay. uh, you had asked me who was the first player to win the Premier League with two different clubs yes who was the most recent player to do that with two different clubs yeah uh, a Premier League title with two different clubs okay let me think let me think okay so who did Man City have already unless it's like a backup player I'm not thinking of um, God this is a tough one is it a tough is it obscure it's not obscure I think it's but it's not obvious and I think it's only obvious once you know the answer kind of, you kind of might go oh, oh yeah of course okay. um, the last one to win two Premier League titles two different clubs uh, Kante nope he he has done it, but James Milner is the most recent. Oh, of course, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah James Man Milner City, is Liverpool, the most yeah. recent. One of the answers to the uh, question last week was Alan Shearer. He had scored. Um, <laughs> so Alan Shearer is obviously yeah. the, the highest goal scorer in the history of the Premier League. But who was his last Premier League goal against? Blimey. Um, his last Premier League goal. God. So when did he retire? 
2006. That doesn't help me at all. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. Oh, yes, please. After he scored this goal, he didn't score anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you rotter. The team, the team he scored against wear stripes as well. I know Newcastle wear stripes. So um, the, the team he scored um, against wear stripes. They're great, great rival Sunderland. It was Sunderland. Oh, my God. I had that in my head before I said the stripes thing because I thought that would be so fitting. For they someone were, like Alan Shearer. They were 1-0 down and he scored in a 4-1 comeback. And he actually got injured in that game. It was three games from the end of the season. and Or four maybe. But it's, it effectively, he already announced his retirement for the end of that season. And it brought his retirement forward, essentially. Oh my God. So let me mark that one down as a correct answer. Wow. Okay, so obviously it's the English Premier League. That's true. No one has ever, no English manager has ever won the Premier League. But when was the last time an English manager won a trophy in England? I.e. one of like, the, I'm thinking like, like a cup. The um, league, the FA Cup, the League Cup. I'm not really, I didn't really count the Charity Shield or Community Shield or whatever. So Man City have won like the last forty <laughs> League Cups. It feels yeah. like. So like you can narrow it down so to League Cup or FA Cup really because we know no English manager has won the Premier League. Cup. God, that's really tough. Again, it's probably super obvious if you trying to think. God, I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Uh, can't even think of an English manager. Uh, I actually no go and put me out of my misery. I have to go all the way back to two thousand and eight. Two thousand and eight season before United won the treble. Two thousand Harry Redknapp. Harry Redknapp. FA Cup of Portsmouth. Am I giving you that or had you given up? I no no. I officially gave up. You there. gave up on that one. Okay, that's fine. That's a long time ago. It is a long time ago. I um, wouldn't have got that one. You had asked me who scored the first hat trick in the Premier League. Who scored the most Bruno recent? Bruno Fernandez. No, Mo Salah against Manchester United. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had purged that from my memory, it seems. Okay, well, the answer would have been Mo Salah anyway because the week before he scored a hat-trick against Watford. Oh, stop it, Mo. <laughs> Just stop it. In 2003 and 2004, yes. Thierry Henry became the first player to win the PFA Premier League Player of the Year award in successive seasons. Who was the most recent player to do so? Um, to was it the, Salah again? To win? Nope, it was not Salah. The most recent is the current holder, Kevin De Bruyne, winning it last he year was my and next the guess. year before. If you had to let me, had a second guess. Christi- <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo won it back to back in two thousand and seven and two thousand and eight as well. Speaking of the the PFA Player of the Year award, <laughs> I like all these little segues within the quiz. Who was the last British player to win the PFA? British? No. Yeah. So is that a hint in itself? Well, just you interpret the question whatever way you feel. I've interpreted it as a hint. Uh, the last British player to win the PFA Player of the Year award. Oh. Um. Oh. Is it like? Can you give me? Is it ages ago or quite recent? No, it's within. It's within the last decade. Within the last decade. Okay. Um. This player immediately after winning the award moved from a team wearing white to another team wearing white. Oh my God! White and white. God, this is throwing me well off. Oh, I thought that hit. I thought that was going to be really obvious. Gareth Bale. Uh, Gareth Bale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. In my head, I was thinking of two English teams wearing white, and then yeah. somebody yeah, it all, all the it all just came together. It was a deliberately phrased question because I assumed you were going to say Wayne Rooney, and I would have said, "No, you fool, he's English." <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got one. I haven't got one. <laughs> I'm so sure it's coming. How many um, questions do I have left? There's only two questions left. I'm not um, doing too badly. We had a little bit of a 
dig at Chelsea last time round, you would say we, one of the questions was who was the first manager sacked and it was a Chelsea manager and we said, oh, some things never change. And I maybe think that Chelsea have a lot of short-term managers, right? So I kind of considered three years to be not short-term. Who was the last manager to manage Chelsea for three full seasons? Three full seasons? Um, wait a sec, successive seasons? Three successive back-to-back okay. seasons, yeah. Because yeah. Mourinho would have been like... Some and then again, and if you add them all together, or am I just get the answer? <laughs> <laughs> have I got the answer? Oh, he's making so many weird faces, gonna throw me off. So, the last Chelsea manager to be there for three years in a row. So, Glenn Hoddle wasn't, I don't think. Um, I don't know, who's Fiat? No way. I'm just going to stick with Mourinho. I want to give you the points because I had an interesting tidbit to come after this as well. So it was Mourinho. It was Mourinho's first stint at Chelsea. He was there for two full seasons when he won the league. Then he was there for another full season when Manchester United reclaimed the title back off Oh, yes, yes. And then yes. he was sacked the following season. Okay. The last manager previous to Jose Mourinho to do it was Glenn Hoddle. Oh, right? my God. Now, where do you hear how the landscape in football has changed, right? Glenn Hoddle was the manager of Chelsea through June 1993 through May 1996 with just... A 34% win rate. 34%? Right? 34%. But imagine how bonkers it was to be a Chelsea supporter back then because they, he managed for 157 games. They won 53, drew 54 and lost 50. <laughs> they scored 192 and conceded 182 in that time. Oh that God. must have just been bonkers to watch. But there's no Chelsea manager who's going to survive six months with a 34% win rate, no, never no, mind three six years. Six weeks. So it's, 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 a, it's a good spell. So I'm going to mark you down as correct on that one. Now, the last one's a bit of a shame, right? Because I wanted to tie it back to you somehow, right? Okay. So my question was going to be, who was the last Simon to score a goal in the Premier League? Okay. Couldn't find one, right? So I, At all? I think it hasn't happened, right? I, now, maybe I did a really bad oh. job of Googling. I, did a, I couldn't Simon find... Simon Davies, isn't he? The, remember the Welsh... When you're Tottenham Portsmouth, fair. He was he scored. You see, this this some. is I I don't know why I had such a hard time because I I could I could barely find Simons who played in the Premier League, <laughs> right? And I was I was I was like I have to be wrong, and I was going to make a call out to the listeners to like tweet in your answers, emails, carrier pigeons, do what you can, get your information into us. But I couldn't find one. But what I did find while I was googling, are we missing a really obvious sign though? It feels like we. It's not even the question anymore, so don't worry oh, okay, about it. Okay. Right? But what I was good when I was googling, I found this article on the internet instead called "Who Was the World's Most Famous Simon?" Right? There aren't that many famous. I know. That's why I just kind of gave up on my search. Maybe there wasn't many Simons in the Premier League. Did the I, most famous, the, the most famous I could find was <laughs> Simon Mignolet. <laughs> so the question, so this this poses the question of how many celebrities named Simon can you think of? Not many is the no, answer, no, no. but. The famous Simons below have many professions, including notable actors named Simon, famous athletes named Simon, and even musicians named Simon. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you who came third and second, but the question for you is you have to tell me who came first in this who's list. Who's the most famous? Who's the most famous no Simon in the whole world? Like well, the hints are kind of going to be who came third and second, because it might give you a flavour of this poll. Okay, flavour me up. Uh, third place is Simon Baker. Mm-hmm. Do you know him? He is an actor, an Australian actor. I definitely recognise him, but he's most famous for his lead role in the CBS television series, The Mentalist. Do you ever see The Mentalist? Do you know the guy I'm on about? No, I can't I can definitely picture him. Simon Pegg came in at second. Oh, Simon Pegg. He's a terrible Simon. He's a terrible Simon. Actor, comedian, screenwriter, producer. Obviously came to prominence (laughs) with the TV show Spaced and then Simon, um, Sean of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Mission Impossible, that kind of stuff. Right, so who came... Who's the most famous Simon in the world? Oh. I'll give you I'll give you 
some clues as we go along maybe he's English I'll give you that much of a clue right to narrow it down a little bit mm-hmm. that's the first clue if you need any so more only 50 that. million people have okay um, he's quite mean he's quite mean quite mean yeah he's kind of known for being mean oh yeah Simon Cowell Simon Cowell so yes of course I bet you reckon like there were listeners going Simon Cowell Simon Cowell oh probably <laughs> so when Simon I, Cowell you fool when I was going down through the list I realised they were the three most famous Simons but not my favourite Simons um, well, my, well, I think I should top that list. No. Yeah. Well, 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 celebrity Simons. Okay. So my my third favorite. I, think I should top that list. No. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see. We'll see. My third, <laughs> my third famous Simon is Simon Le Bon of Duran Duran fame. Yes, he's he's pretty cool, Simon. Listeners, ask your dad about Duran Duran. Um, second Simon that I like is a Simon that you might like as well. Um, never mind the Buzzcocks fame, Simon Amstel. No, I don't like him. You don't like him? No. Listeners, ask your dads about never mind the buzzcocks and my favorite <laughs> simon is and i just want to read his 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 little bio here is um, my favorite celebrity simon is vin diesel lookalike and sexy beast simon winter <laughs> listeners nice. listeners ask your moms about simon winter <laughs> so that's the posters that's, beyond the wall that's the quiz you got simon kyle right meaning you got one two three four five six oh that's not so bad six out of ten which is matching my score from last week oh it's a tie so we need a tiebreaker next week. We need a tiebreaker. Six out of I ten. really enjoyed that. Congratulations. Thank really good. Thanks a million. Thank you. Okay, listeners, welcome to part two. Andy, what do you have for us first up? First up, Simon, is a trip to Turf Moor as Burnley take on a resurgent. Are they resurgent? Spurs? Resurgent? <laughs> yeah. Resurgent question mark here. Um, Spurs. So Burnley have been pretty solid now in the last you know, few weeks. They've only had one defeat in their last five matches, which was a 2-0 defeat to Man City. They even had a pretty um, feisty one-all draw in there with Chelsea, away to Chelsea, which is a pretty good result. Spurs did beat Burnley at Turf Moor earlier this season in the League Cup. Um, and Spurs just... I don't know, man. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so it's it's Spurs, right? And I don't mean that in one of these, like, lads, it's Spurs. But it is it is Spurs. And, like, Spurs previously, previous to, like, uh, Pochettino taking over there, Spurs were a little bit, you know, up and down and a bit... They were always a really entertaining side to watch. I've always liked Spurs, but they were always... They were easy to like because they were no threat. Yeah, and I think this is the most Spursy Spurs have been in years. You know, they're just so unpredictable. I mean, they've beaten City this year and then got hammered by Palace and they got hammered by Chelsea, they got hammered by Arsenal. In this run that Man United are on where they can't beat anybody, they rocked up a pretty comfortable 3-0 win over Spurs. So they've had like a pretty bad run and they're a bit of a conundrum, I think, but they do have the ingredients to sort of kickstart their season at any minute. And maybe that kickstart came last week against Leeds, but you sort of keep waiting for Kane to kind of wake up, so to speak, and sort of like sort of ignite his season. And they've got like players like Son and Mora are just like dangerous players. You feel like they're always sort of ready to start going, but they haven't quite got no, going they're yet. They're playing with lead in their boots almost, aren't they? This yeah, season? yeah. And like while I think things are probably starting to turn for Spurs in a good way, like Conte's come in now and he's been undefeated in three matches, including the Europa Conference League. Um, I still think Burnley are pretty solid right now and I don't want to do them a disservice and just kind of dismiss because it's Burnley or whatever like right so I think a low scoring draw is where I'm probably going to put my money um, a draw is 5-2 uh, to two or 3.5 under 2.5 goals which again goes against their whole football sort of blood or whatever but that comes in 11, uh, 10 to 11 or 1.91 if you fancy Kane to maybe reignite his his season, him as being first goal scorer is three to one or four point all. But a little one I wanted to throw in here as well was um, 
Maxwell Cornet has done really well for Burnley, right? He might be more famous right now for pointing at the the not pointing at the crest, he pointed at like the Umbro sign on his jersey. The or I can't remember who. Yeah. I think it's Umbro, yeah. but I'm not 100 percent sure. But I think it's Umbro. He scored but a screamer last. He week. scored a cracker last mm. week to make a three-three. But he's actually got four goals in his in his six appearances. He's for such Burnley. an unburnly style of player. Yeah, it must be so refreshing for those supporters to see he, this guy come in. He's really. I, I like watching him. I think he's a really good player. Yeah. Him to score any time is 10-3 or 4.33. So I think that's worth kind of like trying to punt in there. Like, do you know what I mean? I just kind of wanted to throw that one in there. Um, But yeah, I think a low scoring draw is where I'm I'm putting my money. Excellent. I like that one. Yeah. And the Cornet stuff especially. Yeah. Yeah. He's almost like um, the, the, the cherry on top, isn't he, for... Burnley's kind of he's so at odds with their yeah their other strikers and they've got the he's a little bit of flair that they've always kind of lacked you know yeah. they could have done with them that kind of player for the last 10 years yeah, yeah absolutely nice one I like that one Andy. thank you okay so for my first Sunday game this week I've got Brentford versus Everton at the Brentford Community Stadium in London and um, Brentford somehow dug a point out of their trip to Newcastle last week though they did concede three goals against the Magpies indeed they are starting to ship a worrying number now they conceded just two goals in their first five matches combined but since that Liverpool game that 3-3 they've shipped over two per game on average if they had have deservedly lost to Newcastle that would have been their fifth loss on the trot couple that with their regressing defensive record and you get a team that are quickly starting to look like genuine relegation candidates all of a sudden. Everton have also lost four of the last five games, however, and goodwill for Rafa Benitez, which was pretty scarce to begin with, I think, is starting to erode even more. The Toffees were tossed aside 3-0 at Man City last week, though none of us really expected anything else there. I think I tipped goals to be scored in both halves by City, which came in. Yep. Yeah. But So this weekend, <laughs> with no Dominic Calvert-Lewin, no Ducore, no Yerimina, no Davies, no Demary Gray, Mason Holgate is, is suspended. Richarlison is suspended as well. Got his fifth yellow of the season. He's only back from injury and he's out again. Um, Brentford have had personnel issues of their own to contend with, though. They're expecting a good chunk of players back for next weekend and that could make all the difference. So this looks like a little bit of an opportunity for the Bees to rediscover their sting <laughs> against a depleted Everton who are already lacking self-belief. It might be a little bit out there, but Brentford to win at 11-8 or 2.38 tickles my fancy here. They've been a real threat from set pieces, while only Palace have conceded more from set plays than Everton this season. If you're feeling super brave and want a bit of a punt, that stat lends itself to backing the first goal to be scored via a header at 11-2 to or 6.5. That's an interesting bet. Which might be a nice little side bet to accompany that Brentford home win bet, which was again 11-8, to 2.38. So Everton, they've got half a team. So, you know, it's worth a go, I think. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a really interesting bet, yeah. Thank you. What you got, Eddie Had? Is it the Eddie Had? Yes, for Man City versus West Ham in the weekly dilemma of I don't know what to decide for this game. <laughs> so City, City are obviously excellent, and their man's and their Man City, and like they've won four of the last five games. The one that they didn't win was a surprise home defeat versus uh, a really solid Palace side. Like most of the time, they're good enough to overcome this, but every now and again, that little that lack of an out and out striker does show up in their play. I mean, to defeat the Palace. They seem to have you know, issues with like breaking the team down. They, they didn't seem to have like a focal point in their attack. And even little things like they absolutely toyed and embarrassed Man United at Old Trafford a few weeks ago, but they didn't have that same killer instinct that Liverpool had to just no, go rack up a bunch of goals. Something flat. Yeah, there's a little bit of a flatness them, about yeah. them. Yet they seem to be completely in control. And like when they go to a place like like Anfield, then 
like they were by far the better side that day, you know? and, and they just seem like they're so, in so in control. And in a game like that, they seem to be able to create chances at will. Do you think sometimes games get too easy for them against maybe. most opponents, yeah, and they just maybe. can't? It just all becomes too routine. Yeah, and they're bored almost, and they're just bored, they're just yeah. they're just knocking the ball around. But so every now and again, it does rear its head that they have that lack of a you know a central striker, and sometimes that might catch them out. And West Ham are on a, like a pretty big hot streak right now as well. Like, but on top of that, then like. Kevin De Bruyne tested positive for COVID. He missed the games at the weekend. He's going to miss the games during the week. He's expected to be back for the weekend, but like it's a ten day isolation period. But like he hasn't been able to train in that period, so maybe he won't play. So, you know, like again, it's one of those like kind of the the ingredients are there for like, but because uh, West Ham themselves are on a big hot streak, they've beaten Everton, Spurs, Villa, and Liverpool this season. They even knocked Man City out of the League Cup in amongst that run. Uh, in amongst that run, sorry, uh, that whole run did screech to a halt though at the weekend with a one 0 home defeat to Wolves. So ultimately, it means that I can't decide. Um, the components are there for a West Ham win, and if you're feeling adventurous, you can get them at eight to one or nine point zero. I'm not going to back that, like, but like you know, if it's you're a feeling, massive price for any Premier League game, I think. It's it's yeah, it's huge. Now if you can bring that down a little bit and kind of go double chance and say a draw or West Ham, if you maybe think they might be able to nick like a one all draw or whatever, you can get that at five to two or three point five. But ultimately, it's Man City at home, and it feels really silly to bet against them. So what I ended up going with is a Man City win and both teams to score at 13-8 to eight or 2.63 ok I like that one yeah, yeah yeah so that's where I kind of settled on in the end nice one excellent excellent one ok so I'm off to the King Power Stadium that's my final port of call this week where Leicester and Watford go head to head the teams notched four goals each against Man United in recent weeks how despairing a stat is that in general terms however Leicester are really struggling this season maybe there's a hangover of sorts from their FA Cup win who knows Sometimes a team, and I say this with respect, <laughs> but sometimes a team of their level wins something and it's the zenith almost. And there's a natural regression that occurs mm. afterwards. It's like that's the, the peak of our era. Yep. This could be the case here. And Brendan Rodgers is losing quite a bit of popularity with Fox's fans. There are grumbles about the team's one-dimensional style of play. Make of that what you will, Man United fans. They were actually booed off at halftime at the weekend when they were pretty much toyed with again by Chelsea. Watford were superb last weekend, particularly in the first half. Though it's, it's. I mean, it needs to be said they they ran out. They think they emptied their tanks by about fifty five minutes, and they were kind of up against it until Harry Maguire did a Harry Maguire thing, got himself sent off out of nowhere. And I reckon if it had stayed eleven versus eleven, Watford might have even lost that game. Nevertheless, confidence has been galvanised there, and they should prove tricky opponents for Leicester as a result. Leicester have only won twice in their last nine league assignments. And they've conceded at least two goals in their last four home matches. What a stat that is. That is, that is a stat. Yeah. That 3-0 reversal home to Chelsea last week was a proper eye-opener, I think. For me, at least. And when you're dominated like that on your own patch by a peer... I mean, they are peers, in a sense. Top six, top seven expected team kind of thing. It always spells big trouble when you're, yep. when you're tossed aside like that. So, Watford are a massive price to win this weekend at 19-4 to or 5.75. But that might be too risky a move, I think. Instead, given Leicester's defensive woes and the open style of play Watford have been playing under Claudio Ranieri, the over two and a half goals on both teams to score combination appeals again here at 1-1, to which is even money, or 2.0. So Watford's games under Ranieri so far have averaged 3.8 goals per 90 minutes. So there's plenty to go on here. What do you think? Excellent. No, there's some really good some really good bets there. And yeah, like definitely peers. I mean, like it was only... It was only a few months ago that 
Leicester were playing Chelsea in the running at the end of last season and Leicester were ahead of Chelsea and they were looking to try and finish in the top four beat them like, in the FA Cup final that's only like it's called, yeah beat them in the FA Cup final and like that that particular game about finishing in the top four when you think about it was only like 15 or 16 games ago like do you know what I mean it's so like, something has happened there it's one of those situations where you can't quite put your finger on what it is yeah. but all their players seem to have dropped the level mm-hmm and then Chelsea have obviously, in, in, you know, they've increased their upward swing under under Tuchel as well. So, but yeah, it's 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 night and day from where they were. But yeah, they're definitely definitely peers, and it's always a worry when you're in that category, and then the teams that you're in that category with start just sort of swatting you aside. Yeah. It's always a concern. And speaking of Thomas Tuchel, Andy. yeah, and speaking of teams and peers getting swatted aside, <laughs> <laughs> another excellent segue. Yeah, the uh, last game of the weekend. Then the main event is Chelsea at Stamford Bridge hosting the. Austin Manchester United Michael Carrick's Manchester United well we, yeah we'll see we'll see um, Michael Carrick's definitely going to be in charge for the game during the week whether he's going to be in charge by the weekend is, we'll see I but, would say um, it's relatively certain I would say yeah and probably no one United he'll probably be in charge for the rest of the season for the next three years yeah <laughs> <laughs> so look everything we said about Man United for last week still applies this week last week we said they had two clean sheets in their last 25, 24 games then a stretch back then a run that stretched back to April and now it's two clean sheets in their last 25 Ugh. and I double checked this morning and it still stretches all the way back to April <laughs> uh, over 2.5 goals has now come in in 7 of their last 9 matches which is 78% of their games and it's coming in each of their last 6 away games actually if you widen the net a little bit to include Champions League games there over 3.5 goals has come in in 5 of their last 7 games oh my god and all right. the wrong end yeah, as far as United are concerned yeah. there was a 4-2 against Leicester a 3-2 win over at Atlanta the 5-0 against Liverpool a 2-2 versus at Atlanta 4-1 against Watford the 2 games out of the 7 where the over 3.5s didn't come in was a 3-0 win for United over Tottenham so there were still goals in the game and a 2-0 defeat to Man City where if Man City had a bothered in the second half they could have racked up a big score so you know, maybe three point over three point five is a more uh, accurate reflection of where Man United are at. Chelsea, we said a bit last week about Chelsea overperforming an XG in terms of goals conceded. I don't think Man United are the side that's going to try and ch- change or challenge oh, that. Wow. Um, Chelsea are definitely considered part of like there's always a, a, the, the the top six, the top seven, the big six. There's definitely like a little pocket now of a big three in amongst those. Chelsea, City, and Liverpool make up that three. City and Liverpool have obviously dispatched Man United very you know handily in recent weeks and I expect Chelsea to do the same United were toyed with by the other two in that group and they barely created a chance even and I expect something similar here so over 2.5 goals in the game comes in at 10 to 11 or 1.91 that's generous yeah the over 3.5 goals which I kind of alluded to a few minutes ago comes in at 12 to 5 or 3.4 which like it's worryingly good I think that's worryingly good right Um, I can't see anything but a Chelsea win for this game but there's like no betting value in the market for it so I put together a tiny little bit of a bet builder and I went with Chelsea to win Chelsea to win to nil Chelsea to win half time and full time and Havertz to score any time and that comes in at 6 to 1 or 7.0 now you can slice off the Havertz any time and you still get like a juicy like you know you know four and a half or five to one like do you know what I mean so, all right that's really good so it's it's still yeah I, I just think Chelsea are going to win this game United probably won't score they didn't score they didn't muster a chance really against Liverpool or City I expect the same today uh, not today this weekend so I expect Chelsea to win to nil and they'll probably win both halves oh. look so, uh, there's yeah. nothing in there I can disagree with unfortunately I can't offer a positive counter from a United standpoint, no, no. so I mean, yeah, any basically you're saying any positive result, any positive bet in favour of Chelsea is a uh, is likely to land 
Any positive bet in, in favour of Chelsea? I mean, if United were to get a positive res- result out of this game, I would say, Michael Carrick, get your piece of paper, write your write your contract down, write down <laughs> how much money you want, where you want your statue, because United are back, baby. Uh, I have one, just, I quickly looked up live here, um, a little bet that I think would be a decent inclusion to that one. Cool. Sorry, I don't want to step on your no, toes absolutely. here, but um, you can back in an early goal, so a goal score before 29 minutes. Oh, That's yeah. five to six. Oh, which is 1.83 so if you're looking for something nice and safe United <laughs> they can't seem to hold out beyond a couple of minutes these days no, so no. and 29 is a big bracket that's the opening half an hour essentially um, yeah I wouldn't even consider that an early goal no, so that's no, no. really good that's, that's really good I would have thought early goal is like when in the opening like 5 to 10 minutes yeah, yeah yeah like I mean late goal is the last 15 in the market so early goal under 30 minutes like, that's really it seems good. big it's just, I think I'll have a flutter on that one myself Yeah. but um, yeah I really like that I really like that bet um, so yeah I think that's the last game isn't that's it the last, last game. game of the weekend yeah any final thoughts um, no do you like do you want to have a little bit of a conversation about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I mean I know our listeners are probably here for the betting bit and we could do a little bonus bit if yeah, anyone probably, wants to check out now yeah. they can and anyone wants to stick around they can we can talk about Solskjaer the, the impact that might have on Manchester United and maybe look at some of the, the betting options for who's, who's going to replace him yeah for sure yeah let's do it so I suppose it's probably best to have a little kind of touch on Solskjaer's era at United. We won't go into too much detail, but I think myself and Andy would probably both agree that there were lots, many, many good things, tons of enjoyable moments. But ultimately, the wheels came off in pretty spectacular fashion there this season. It's been near enough a complete disaster, all things considered. So look, according to the latest reports, Mauricio Pochettino is the man likeliest to take over. Some are saying he wants to join ASAP. Others are saying that, somewhat bizarrely, United are determined to appoint a temporary manager to succeed the aforementioned Michael Carrick, even though the season is still in its infancy in relative terms. That seems particularly ludicrous to me, I must say. So if the stories about Pochettino being keen to move now are true, surely the button just needs to be pushed? What do you think? Yeah, like I'm not really a fan of like an interim manager when there's this much of the season still to play for. It feels a little bit like you're writing off the season. And like, you know, I, 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 when it comes to interim managers, you know, you're only ever looking at like ex-players and non-experienced managers because experienced managers probably view themselves as being hired and being an interim. It's and, fine for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it's fine for a couple of weeks. Or if there was, like, were 12 games into the season, if there was 12 games left, you go, yeah, fine, interim manager or whatever. I mean, if you're going to appoint Carrick and leave him there for the season, then you you should have just left Solskjaer there. Like, you know. Um, There's so, still so much time for so much like, you know yeah I mean look what happened Chelsea Chelsea let go of Frank Lampard in January last year or was it the start of February I think it was the end of January it was around that time yeah and so Tuchel came in there with far less time and he was able to charge them up the table finish in the top four win the Champions League like United have a really underperforming side right now but they have a really dangerous side like and a, a, a really good coach could come in there and they'd have Ronaldo Cavani Rashford Sancho Greenwood like all these like that that's a selection of a front three that, of different combinations of front threes that you could put together that should in theory t- terrorize and scare any defense and then you've got like Bruno behind that and potentially like if someone could get something out of Pogba I know probably they won't but you know there's still there's there's enough players there to, to work with it's not like it's not like they're a complete lost cause or anything. yeah if you can apply the kind of organization you see at mid to lower level Premier League teams and kind of pick out their players and put in the United players with the same drilled tactical yeah. kind of ethos then suddenly surely you've got a, a really formidable team 
You would think. Yeah, and like, okay, and it hasn't it hasn't worked out well for them this season, but last year they showed that they can be relatively robust defensively. Yeah. Like they weren't conceding yeah. loads of goals here, no, you know. But no. people so, are quick to forget, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm brings sure. me to my my next point, really, about Pochettino, because some of the coverage is kind of it's cold on him almost. Mm. So it might be worth a little refresher on what he did with Tottenham in particular, because the sands of time move really quickly in football and sometimes even relatively recent events get kind of forgotten um, so he joined Tottenham in 2014 he gave Harry I'm just going to run through a couple of things really quickly yeah. he gave Harry Kane a starting spot up front ahead of Roberto Soldado might not seem a big deal but not many managers give kids a, a chance um, he got Spurs to a League Cup final his first season though they lost to Chelsea and they finished fifth which is pretty decent going so the very next season they probably should have won the league that was when Leicester performed that miracle under Ranieri um, Spurs ultimately finished third but it was their highest finish since 1990 in 16-17 they finished with 86 points 86 is that have we even have United even got 86 points not post Fergie? not post Ferguson no so, so there you go so that was their highest in Premier League history and their best total since 1962-63 they were unbeaten at home for the entire campaign that season and they scored more goals and conceded fewer than anyone else in the league Wow, I didn't actually know that bit. Now, that's all, all the other bits. Isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's amazing. So, um, where are we? So, the next season after that, in December, he became the third quickest Premier League manager ever to reach 100 wins. A few months later, of course, in May, he led Tottenham to the Champions League final. They eventually finished fourth, but they lost 13 league games. So, maybe there were signs of an era coming to end. Um, the team hadn't been refreshed at all. We all know what Daniel Levy is like in the market. He's happy just to persist with the same players, by and large. A few months, in, months into the following season, that November, after a poor start to the campaign, he was sacked, which in hindsight is pretty mind-blowing now when you see what has happened to Spurs since. So he recorded 5th, 3rd, 2nd, 3rd, 4th finishes with Spurs and was sacked promptly into the next season it, after it, just a couple of months. It was a really poor decision. Um, in terms of their style of play, I remember them, well, for at least a few times, proper bullying and outplaying Man United. I remember them creating and scoring lots of goals and they had a real edge about them which yeah, I liked. Really there was is. an aggression in there which I really loved. They were super fit, super strong. It felt like they were just bashing teams around. So powerful maybe the word I would have used to describe them. So all those things applied to this set of Man United players would kind of get me a little bit excited yeah. and I'm glad I, I took the time to refresh my memory about Pochettino because when you're only reading kind of modern day Twitter you, you tend to hum and haw along with the opinion it's really hard to kind of solidify your own. There's there's so much like nonsense. Like as soon as someone will mention a manager, instead of going down through that extensive list that you just went through, someone will go still hasn't won a trophy. Still hasn't won a trophy. But it's, here we go again. It's Spurs, but not in that context. Yeah. In that anything achieved with them in terms of fifth or higher is a really good, really good achievement. Yeah. Really good. No, I've always liked Pochettino. Yeah, and they, they did. They had an edge to them. Like one of my one of my favorite games in the Premier League years, that battle of Stamford Bridge oh, that time. Man. It was just it Kicking was insane lumps, to watch. Yeah. But yeah, and like you, you touched on it there. It was a team that wasn't refreshed. He he put together a really good side that sort of overachieved, um, consistently in, in for a couple of seasons. And then there was a summer there where they literally didn't spend any money at all. And that was the, the summer preceding the run to the Champions League yeah, final, actually. Yeah, and then you could, and that was the same season then where there was 
you said 13 defeats over the course of the season I think it was 19 in all competitions and I think most of them came in the second half of the season I, I, I kind of remember them being t- in touted as title contenders around Christmas and then they sort of tailed off in a big way so a lot of defeats came in the second half of the season where you could argue that just the team was just need, in desperate need of being refreshed and they were just kind of running to the ground like there was so you can imagine if, if he had because at that time he would have had Kane, Son, Deli Ali was playing really good Christian football Erickson. at the time. Christian Eriksen, Dembele, and then had Dembele and um, Victor Wanyama and like they, Danny Rose at fullback with Trippier on the yeah, other side. Yeah, and a good team. Dembele team. like injuries caught up with him, and the same yeah. happened to Wanyama, and then they got no re- you know refreshments or reinforcements there. Did he you, UT sign then Dembele or was that Mourinho? I think that, it was Pochettino. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly. I would no, I would say it was it must have been it must have been Pochettino who signed him that summer. And then he didn't really get into the team until around Christmas or whatever. So it was a side that who can imagine like though, especially that front four of Ali, Son, Ericsson and, and Kane. If they had been able to get like some proper reinforcements in around like there and and reinforce their midfield, he probably would have been able to take them on the next step. That didn't happen. Then like they started the next season poorly, and he was he was he was shipped out for Mourinho, which was a crazy disaster move. of a decision. Crazy move. A disaster. So you're of a decision. only talking August, September, October. Mm. So a three month little downturn. I think when he was sacked, they were fourteenth in the league. Mm. So it's not. I mean, it wasn't an absolute. They weren't going down or anything. Yeah. But maybe there was one of those, like we discussed earlier, with Rogers and Chel and uh, Leicester rather, that there's a, almost like a an emotional dump after your team gets to an unexpected final. Mm. In Leicester's case, they were successful. In Tottenham's case, they weren't. Even though they were probably the better team against Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Unlucky with that handball penalty. So after that, there was always going to be. It seems there's a pattern in terms of teams dropping off a little bit after reaching cup finals. You see England in the Euros in the summer. A lot of players suffering from the Euros hangover, they're calling it. Yeah, and it looks like it's a quantifiable thing, so maybe there was a sum of that at play too. But anyway, Danny Levy didn't have patience. Maybe it was just time for a change. But uh, Pochettino since being at PSG, he's obviously not happy there at all. No. You can understand why he likes proper football club. Not saying United are, but they're more so than PSG at least. And he would have far more say in the footballing decisions where he seems kind of restricted to here, take your clipboard and get out there with your whistle. (laughs) (laughs) Put the cons out. Yeah, and who's to say Neymar and Messi even listen to him anyway? I I doubt they do. So, yeah, all things considered, he's the most suitable candidate. I think he ticks all the boxes. When you see the latest news about Eric Ten Hag, who who was another favourite amongst the online United fan base to take the role, he seems kind of like he might have distanced himself from the role completely. I know initially it was kind of summer, not mid-season for him, but it looks as though he's kind of fed a little bit of information out about United being maybe a, a graveyard for managers, which is, <laughs> I can accept that's fair. I mean, that, that that's a smart move, I think. Pochettino just wants to come back to the UK, right? His family live in London, I think. Yeah. He's enjoyed success with Southampton, with Tottenham, so... I guess United is the next step up the Premier League ladder in that yeah. sense. Yeah, and I suppose like there is a real romantic sort of notion about Ten Hag because of what he's been able to do there at Ajax, what he's been able to build, and he's been able to bring through a lot of their youth and their academy players, and like that's something that really appeals to a lot of Man United fans. The problem with um, Ten Hag is United probably won't give him the same kind of structure and same kind of support that that Ajax gave him. So like you can't just like pluck one piece out and stick it into the Manchester United puzzle and just expect the same results so I mean it would be he'd be a fascinating and interesting manager to have but I think it'd be hopeful thinking or wishful thinking for him to be able to replicate what he's doing at Ajax at Man United it's just a different structured club Ajax is a isn't it interesting to note that he's older than Pochettino Um, 
this, he's kind of been framed as this the next big thing in management and I know age is only a number (laughs) but he's been framed as this up and coming the next Guardiola or the next he might even be older than Pepino oh yeah I I didn't know that now yeah he's he's hardy enough which is no bad thing he's been around the block plenty of experience but he's not this fresh innovative kind of guy let's see yeah, he's not yeah, this yeah. next kid on the block either he's not Nagelsmann of Dutch football no. by any means and and like and and again Ajax are just structured way smarter than Man United are and they run their business way smarter than Man United yeah, do you can't bring the whole backroom no and upper echelon kind of tier there you can't bring them all you can't bring Overmars and Van der Sar you might as well just buy Ajax in that case yeah 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 you have to do it in a different Manchester United way and that that probably means that Pochettino fits the mould right now a bit better as well. And, and what what did you mention what, what the odds were on, on Pochettino? And oh yeah, Penhag? so I, there's been a good bit of movement today and uh, Pochettino I think is 5-6, to six, no 4-6 to six rather with uh, with them. Um, William Hill have him at 4-6 to six, so he's clear of the next favourite who was Brendan Rodgers at 6-1. Oh. to one. So look, United fans aren't keen on Rodgers for obvious reasons. But look, there's a lovely big gap between Pochettino and Rodgers now. Interestingly, Ten Hag has really dropped down. Okay. I suppose the news today has had an impact. So he's gone out to 16-1. to 1. Um, In between Rodgers and Ten Hag as the third favourite is Michael Carrick. And, um, That's eight, where your smart money's going. Oh, no, no, no. He's 8-1. to one. Actually, Paddy Power have him as short as fours. <laughs> I think there might be cheeky kind of odds from Paddy Power there. They like to stick the boot in on you now whenever, whenever they can. Laurent Blanc is after Ten Hag at 20-1. to one, But you're... The, the odds are flying out as you move down the list. So Zidane is 10, a short to 10 in some places, but generally about 20 to 25 in most. Steve Bruce, for next permanent manager, is 20 to 1. Ralph Ragnick has been quoted in some places as a possible interim option, but I can't see him being a permanent. No. He's more of an overseer than a coach now these days, so he's at 16s. Um, but there's no real kind of, oh, interesting left fielder at all in the list. I mean... Alex Ferguson. I was just about to ask. Surely somewhere has odds on Alex Ferguson making He's a return. He's fifty to one, right across the board, except Betfred, who has him, who have him at thirty-three to one. <laughs> they must know something. Interestingly, <laughs> Sir Alex Ferguson, the same odds as Gabriel Heinze and Graham Potter. Oh, interesting. That's harsh on Graham Potter, isn't it? Surely I was going to say it's harsh least. on Gabriel Heinze. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Roberto Mancini's also been kind of a name that's been bandied about in some quarters. He's as long as eighty to one with Skybet, so that's not happening. Justifiably so. What did yeah? What did Luis Enrique say when uh, he was asked about the links? Is it April Fool's Day? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Luis. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> He's at thirty threes for obvious reasons there too. So um, Darren Fletcher's at forties. But anyway, look, the most interesting one is Pochettino at four to six. There's still some wiggle room there. I think that's one point six seven if you're a decimal odds fan. Um, five to six with Betfair might be a bit more up your street if you're looking to find a bit of value. But yeah, he's our favourite for the role. I think he's the one we probably both want. As yeah, and, and while the odds are short on him, they're probably only going to get shorter. I mean, like if, if you delay, I'm not sure exactly when this pod's going to come out, but if but come come Thursday, this this um, the, the odds could be even shorter. He's going to be in Manchester on Wednesday night mm-hmm. you know, for a Champions League game. So there's there's all kinds of room for some kind of shenanigans going on there. About, even a nod and a wink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cloak and dagger meets in hotels and you know so mm, backdoor action backdoor action <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. on that on that note. Right, yeah, we're going to wrap it up there so thank yeah. you for listening and if you stuck with us right through that uh, late segment please, please let us know in the comments on um, wherever you can comment essentially and yeah. we'll put in more hot topics if um, if this one is has proved interesting hot topic hot topic 
So thanks as always to all of you for tuning in. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you do like the show, we'd greatly appreciate a follow on Spotify. Maybe even a share with your friends if you're feeling generous. The more followers and listeners we get, the likelier it is that we'll be able to keep producing shows. Make sure and check out Odds Profit on Facebook and of course on their official website for their latest expert tips. And as always, if you are following our tips this weekend, please, please gamble responsibly. Thanks everyone. Thank you.